Good morning. We're rolling on with our staycation together today. And I got the title, Stay Rested. Stay Rested. I was thinking of changing it this week to Stay Caffeinated. I feel like that would be a little bit more doable for most of us, you know. Stay Rested, that seems like a pretty tall order. And I was just thinking, you know, whoever wrote that sermon title definitely doesn't live at my house. I I could just tell you that right now. Some of you are probably thinking the same thing, like, that whoever thought of that title does not live at my house. In fact, uh, we have, you know, as, as you guys know, a two-year-old at our house, and he, he no longer, like, cries when he needs something. Um, he's actually in a, like, a, what we call a tent, uh, but it's really, like, designed so that he won't climb up out of the crib, and so uh, it's sort of a baby cage. I'm just going to say it, uh, but he's, he's a wild man, and so now when he, he's ready to get out, he just yells, Dad, like I mean, across the house, like it, you know. And last night he's been doing it the past couple nights at about 4 a.m. Just yelling, whoever, dad or mom, it doesn't matter. But it's been dad the past couple times. Dad, come get me, come get. It just oh, he will not stop until somebody goes. So finally, like all right, I go in there, like see what he needs, you know. And he just looks at me, goes, uh, "You rock me, yeah." Yeah, I can rock you, but you know, you don't get these moments, you know, forever. As of course, I'll rock you, you know, I'm like so tired, I'm like rocking it, like put him back in there, and then it's like starts over, dad, you know, I'm kidding. He just wants to be rocked, and so uh, he does not understand the value of staying rested, at least not for me, and uh, a lot of people in my house don't seem to elevate that value for others. In fact, uh, my wife would say that I'm the worst. She, she, I don't necessarily agree with that, but she would say that I am the worst uh, because I'm the first to leave in the morning generally. And so uh, when I go out the door, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm like, I'm Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, you know, not in the blowing up scenes, but like in him kind of like underneath the lasers and like, I mean, no, like without a trace kind of like, this is, this is how I am. I, I just, and she tends to say that I'm not like that. She thinks that I'm like an elephant, like exiting the house. And I don't, I'm sure the truth is somewhere in the middle, but uh, it's funny because she was the other night in, in the bedroom before we had gone to bed, and uh, I just hear her in, and she's just cracking up laughing, like, like by herself. She's just in there laughing, like, so, and I'm like, what is she, what is so funny? And so I go, and I'm like, she's like on her phone, and she's like, you've got to see this. And I'm like, you know, what is it? She's like, this is you. Like, this right here is you. And so I don't think it's true, but this is, she showed me this video. can't be me. It can't. What is it when you're trying to be quiet and you like knock something over? Like I, I'm like, it's dark when I'm, I'm trying to get, you know, not wake anybody up. And I'm like, I'm trying to avoid every creaky floorboard and all of that. But there are, there is the occasional time where something will get knocked over. You know, I have to, have to be honest. The funny thing is the night after she showed me that video, I was going, I was, I was like getting ready to head out. I was coming up the basement stairs, and for some reason, like my cell phone jumped out of my hand. Like as I'm on the stairs, wood stairs, boom, 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 all the way down the stairs. And I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, that is me. Like that, that is totally me. So maybe it's true, you know, maybe I don't know how to help others stay rested either, but uh, stay rested. That's, that's the theme. And maybe you're thinking, hey, whoever wrote that sermon title doesn't have my job. 
Maybe whoever, maybe you're thinking whoever has uh, had written that sermon title does not know who my boss is. Or maybe whoever wrote that has no idea the kinds of things that I have on my plate. Maybe, maybe they haven't seen my schedule. Or maybe whoever came up with that hasn't been around recently. I mean, it seems like we, we live in some kind of restless times, don't we? It, it seems to be that there's not a lot of rest to be had, and maybe you can feel the weight of that. Maybe you're in a season right now, you're like, I just stay rested. Like, uh, good luck with that. I don't know how that's going to happen. And in the current environment, we, we certainly see it. It's not conducive for rest. Certainly, uh, our society and the, the modern moment that we live in is not elevating our rest as if it's utmost importance, right? It just seems like restlessness seems to be on par for the course today. I mean, who turned up the noise around us? Who turned up the anxiety? Who turned up the chaos and turmoil? And if we're really honest, we, we know we're a restless people. And if progress was really delivering on its promise, one would expect that we'd be happier than ever, right? We'd have more time than ever. But is that really the trend? Has technology made our life easier? Is it, is it freed us up at all? Has it freed up our time? Have digital social platforms generated the deeper connections that they promise? I mean, we should have the deepest relationships of all now, right? Has the digital age and its wealth of information brought us greater peace? Has Google made us wiser with every question just to search away? Have we gotten any closer to that utopia that societies before us couldn't get to? And I think if we're being honest, we know that the answer to all of those questions would be no. We are at least as restless as previous generations, but an argument could be made that we're even more restless, less content. In fact, reported happy, happiness levels have been in decline since the 60s, actually. Why is that? Well, we could speculate. But maybe it's that the things that have promised happiness, the things that have promised us rest, the things that have promised us that we would finally arrive have brought us no closer. I just want to suggest to you today that what if what we need the most won't be found in another self-help book or sermon or therapy session or technological advancement or magical pill or you fill in the blank? What if the rest that we really need could only be found where Jesus told us it could be found? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love the message version here. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Rest is the surest route to renewal. Now before you go off and take a nap during the next 30 minutes, We'll talk about the kind of rest that we're talking about, the kind of rest that we're truly after. Let's take some talk, time to talk about 
what it really looks like to take hold of that rest. And is it really possible to stay rested with everything else that we have going on? The first thing we need to know about this kind of rest, it's truly essential, is this, that rest is found in relationship with God. Rest is found in relationship with God. It's not in a place. Maybe you got some great vacations planned this summer. Maybe you're going to some exotic places, some really cool places, and that's great. But no matter how exotic the destination, no matter how far you fly or how far you go, you might find an escape, but you're not going to find rest in a place. You might find some restful moments, and you might be able to enter into rest, but you're not going to really, truly find rest in an exotic place. In fact, you ever go on a vacation, and you get back, and like, I need another vacation. Like, I need a vacation from the vacation. I feel like that's true for us, especially with traveling with young kids. We joke all the time. It's like the traveling circus. Like, we just take all of our circus, and now we take it on the road, which is even harder to manage than at home, you know? And maybe that's how you feel. It's like, man, you're not going to find rest in a place. You're not going to find rest in a season of life. Some of us convince ourselves that, hey, once this season is over, it's going to slow down in the next season. How long have you been telling yourself that, right? Like the next season, I know it. I'm gonna, it's just going to be better. It's going to be a little bit easier. Once I get some of this stuff off my plate, I'm going to have a little bit more margin. I'm going to finally find rest. You aren't going to magically find rest when you finally get that, hit that deadline or get to that next moment or graduate from school or whatever that next milestone is. Those things are great, but you're not just going to magically fall into a restful period. I hate, hate to break it to you. Why is that? Because the rest that you're really after isn't found in a place or a season or a life or a TV series after the end of a long day. Rest is found in a person. His name is Jesus. You know, the world's going to continue to scream, go, go, go. And Jesus softly continues to say, stay, stay, stay. More theologically correct, he says, abide. He says, remain. And it's in abiding, it's in remaining, it's in staying rooted in him and resting in him. That is where life flourishes. That's where we find our rest. John 15, 4 through 5 says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. We can try. We can try to accomplish some things and try to get some things done, but we've only got so much power. We can only depend on ourselves so far. But Jesus says, if you want to bear true fruit, if you want to flourish in the way that you were meant to flourish, that's only going to be found as you abide in me. But here's the deal. Real rest can't be rushed. Why? Because rest is in a relationship. Relationships aren't checklists. They're not transactions. They're not just this segmented part of the week or segmented part of the day. I mean, imagine treating any other relationship like that. Like, hey, so I kind of I cleared through the checklist. Like, are we good? You know, hey, wait, I got through my daily time with you. Like, are we good? Like, try that with your spouse. Like, how well will that work, you know? We're good, right? But real rest can't be rushed. 
Walter Adams, who was the spiritual advisor for C.S. Lewis, says, to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer, and it only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. Somebody said to me after the, the first message, you know what that actually, I'm, I'm thinking that this means for me, is that in the season that I'm the busiest, I need to be the most prayerful or I'm not going to get anything done. I'm like, that sounds about right. It's in our busiest seasons that we should be most prayerful. So let me just tell you, if you're looking for a quick fix to your restlessness, Jesus isn't the answer. But if you're looking for a real rest, if you're looking for something deep and transformational, then Jesus is all that and more. But it's going to take some time. It's going to take some investment. It's going to take real abiding. We've been doing some swimming this summer, and we go down to the Mason Pool, and uh, it's really a great kind of spot for kids because it's all like sort of the zero entry, like real shallow areas. And we've been kind of learning to swim sort of in that environment. And, uh, you know, Aiden's been doing great. He's like, there's this little like, um, like lazy river thing that goes around, and he swims in that, but he can still touch the bottom, so it's like, you know, it's, it's totally fine for him. He does it. And I was like, dude, we should try, like, let's go to swim where the big boys swim. Like, they have this new big aquatic center now uh, with the deep lap pool, and I'm like, let's, let's try it. You're doing great here. Like, let's go try to get out of the deep end, and of course, he's like, no way. Like, you know, I like the comfort of being able to put my foot back down if I need to. And, but I'm like, come on, let's just try it. And so I, a little bit at a time, would just jump out in the water. But all right, just swim out to me. I'm right here. You know, and if you need to grab the rope on the side or whatever, you can. And so he's starting to kind of be beckoned out into those deeper waters. And I think for most of us, if, if we're honest, we kind of like the shallow end. We kind of like where we can put our feet down. We kind of like where we can take, you know, just kind of that moment if we need to. But what if God was calling us out into the deep end? Like as we abide in him, what if he wanted more for us than just this shallow spirituality? And the truth is, unless we learn to remain in Christ, we will forever remain in the shallow end of spirituality. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So we have to learn to find that rest, first and foremost, in a relationship with Jesus. The next thing we need to know about rest is that it's an act of resistance. It's an act of resistance to the world. And really, as it was set, set apart in, in Exodus and really the Old Testament, it was clearly elevated and prescribed in the Old Testament as a day once a week, the Sabbath, where rest was the utmost priority. It was commanded. It was something that the covenantal people of God did. Every single week, they upheld it. They would not break it. It says in Exodus 34, 21, six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. And then it has this little part of the end, which I like. Even during the plowing season and harvest, you must rest. It's like calling them out, like, hey, I know y'all are going to be tempted to say that during the plowing season, we're just going to push through and we're not going to rest. We're not going to take that Sabbath day. But it's most important when it's plowing season, right? And the harvest is plentiful and there's much work to be done. That is the time when you need to especially focus on resting, on pausing, on taking that week. Why? Why was the Sabbath so important? Well, this was a day when the people of God went against the grain of the people around them. When they set that day apart, when they stopped production to remember that it was Yahweh himself 
who brought provision. It was the day when they chose to pull back from the endless commerce, from quotas and deadlines, from buying and selling and all of the idols of the day to say, no, we stand firm in God and God alone. And so it was prioritized. And later, Jesus says this about the Sabbath. He says the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. In other words, what he's saying is this was designed for you. This was a gift for you. This was for your health and well-being. This was so that you could flourish. It wasn't meant to be one more thing we add to a long to-do list, but it was an opportunity to just be human, to be one with God in a world where this priority couldn't be further from the top. That's why Walter Brueggemann refers to the Sabbath as resistance. It's in Sabbath keeping that we defy the norms of the day. And I think that's true. And I think what Ronald Rollheiser has to say about this is pretty dead on in describing our day. He says, today, a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it's difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have an interior depth whatsoever. We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into oblivion. It's not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in movie theaters, sports stadiums, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major roadblocks today within our spiritual lives. I think that's true. And Jesus warns of the outcome of this kind of living. He says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And so when we practice things like Sabbath and the Sabbath day, when we, when we keep that day holy, when we set that day apart as a day for rest, reconnection with God, reconnection with the people around us and investing in relationships, when we lean in intentionally through prayer and through study of God's word, that is our form of resistance in a world that continues to, to push back and to, to push us down when it comes to living up to that ideal of following God. So it's in this Sabbath and prayer that we take an offensive posture and we push back the forces of evil in our lives, the things that want to destroy us, to tear us down and to to tear our families down. So rest in that way is a form of resistance. Rest also means caring less. Caring less. Now I think there's two kinds of people and we all probably represent one of two kinds of people in this room. There's the overpacker when you go on a trip and there's the underpacker, you know? It's one or the other. It's the guy that's like, hey, like I got one outfit, I'm good, you know? Like that's, that's fine. Uh, and then there's the overpacker. And there's usually one in each family I've found. And I won't tell you which one's which in our family, but I'll just, I'll just go on to say that, you know, there's this 50 pounds that you get, like in a piece of luggage, you know? And some of you are calculating down to every, like, ounce 
that you get what you pay for. Like, I'm getting my 50 pounds. Like, and I, if I got to add in, you know, a bag of Skittles at the end to get me up to what I, I'm, I'm getting what I paid for, you know, every bit of that 50 pounds, you know. And somehow the scale at the airport is a little different than the scale at home. Like, I'm just, I've noticed this. Just, you know, it, it, it has happened to us before where we get into the airport and it's like that moment where like I'm a little nervous maybe because of my bag maybe not because of my bag but I'm like that bag is going up there and it's like I've hauled it so I know that thing is more than 50 pounds you know and then it goes on to a little scale and it's like you're watching the number like okay like okay we got we're five pounds over like what and then what ends up happening is the underpacker has to get some of that stuff out of the overpackers to get and like we're in the middle of the airport like unpacking our stuff and like repacking it and it's a whole thing you know and some of you do that you're gonna like I'm gonna get every bit that I can get you know and you do the same thing some of you with your schedules like, any, if I can fit it into a week, like, I'm fitting it into a week. Like, I, I got this much time at this time, and we're masters at it, right? We're so efficient, you know? We, we've been taught to be efficient, and our schedules are packed tight. For some of you, you're like, man, is, is summer already over? Because if I look at the calendar, like, summer is over. Like, I don't have, I can't make any appointments until fall, you know? And that's just how we operate. And you might look at Jesus, and you're like, well, how, how did Jesus do it? Because Jesus was like, you could say he was kind of a big deal, you know? Like, he, if anybody had busyness, if anybody had high demand on him, it was Jesus. Yet how was it that he always had margin for the things that mattered? John Mark Comer captures this well. He says, Jesus was constantly interrupted, yet he never comes across as agitated or annoyed. Jesus' schedule was full to the brim at times in a good way, yet he na- never came off as hurried. This rootedness in the moment and connectedness to other people and himself weren't the byproducts of a laid-back personality or a pre-Wi-Fi world. They were the outgrowth of a way of life, a whole new way to be human that Jesus put on display in story after story. Jesus made margin. And I like the definition of margin that I read recently. Margin is the space between our load and our limits. It's the space between our load and our limits. So if you got 50 pounds, you know, of space, is there any margin in that? And if you got so many hours in the week, what kind of margin is there in that? And I've learned the best indicator that my load has reached its limits, I make mistakes. You realize I make mistakes when there is no margin, that's what happens. I make mistakes and mistakes compound or I forget things or I drop things and I'm like, yep, the load has reached the limits there's too much on my mind, too much on my plate. I, I do this. In fact, uh, it was kind of back in like rainier season and I had a ton of stuff going on and my, I needed to mow my grass because it was starting to get kind of ridiculous and it was raining so much. I'm like, I got to just get out there and mow it. And uh, I'm like, it's kind of wet, but we had the zero turn. I'm like, I'm just going to plow through and make it happen. Even if there's lines all through my yard, like it doesn't matter. I got to get this done. And so I get down kind of into the, I'm getting a lot of it done and it's wet like for sure. I'm like, I should be wearing a rain jacket because there's so much water coming up, you know. And then I'm like, I should know because the back part of my property is is much wetter than the front part. But I'm like, ah, I'll just go back there anyway. And so I'm like, 
I'm starting to feel like the tire is not quite grabbing very well. And I'm like, now I'm just trying to get out. Like, I'm like, all right, like this thing's getting stuck for sure. I just have to try to get out and maneuver my ways through. But I start to kind of realize, okay, I'm not going anywhere. I'm sliding this way, sliding this way. And then I'm just punching it like as hard as I can. There's mud flying up everywhere. And I'm like, here it is, mistake number one, you know, like, great. Like, I should not have come back here. I knew I shouldn't have come back here. And rather than just kind of like cutting my losses and making one mistake, I just, I'm just going to keep making mistakes. Like, let's just, so I'm, I'm in deep, and I'm like, okay, what am I going to do now? I got to get this done. Like, I only have the rest of, you know, the next couple hours to do this. Like, I need to get it done. And so Jess was out doing something. So it's just me and Eli at the house, my five-year-old. And I'm like, okay, I got an idea. I'm like, I can't both push and drive the mower, but between the two of us, we can figure this out. And so I come and uh, I bring Eli out, the five-year-old. I'm like, it's not that hard. He's just got to push two things forward, and I'm going to push the mower. And uh, I'm like, buddy, all you got to do is when I say go, just push the two levers forward. That's all the instruction he needed, right? Sure enough. Some of you are like, it's a bad idea. But again, when mistakes, when, when there's no margin, mistakes are made. And so I get back there, and I'm in, like, my cowboy boots, you know, and I'm just like, all right, let's go, me versus mower. Eli, sit down. We got it all, you know, I was like, because I need some weight in the seat, and I need, it's just enough, right? Like, he's, he's the weight in the seat to keep it on, and then I'm like, I'm pushing. I'm like, okay, let's go, buddy. Okay, push forward, push forward, and it's just, I'm covered in mud, and then I'm pushing, I'm pushing, and all of a sudden, like, it's like it all happened at once where I'm just pushing, pushing, and it rocked, like, over the hump that it was on. Now, I wasn't prepared for what was going to come next, and that was not only would it not be stuck, but it would really not be stuck. And it all of a sudden just took off, like it was all solid ground. And I'm looking at my five-year-old like, and I'm, yeah, like, I'm trying to catch up to him, like I don't know, but he's, he's did exactly what I told him, you know. He's riding along, and I'm like, no, 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 buddy, buddy, pull back, pull back, pull. I'm just yelling, pull back, pull back. We should have gone over this. This is my fault, you know, and there's like trees out ahead of him. And all of a sudden, by some grace of God, the dude just stands up. Like, he's still pushing it up, but he just stands up, and the mower cut off. Like, this is a safety mechanism. Like, thank goodness he stood up. Like, I don't know what made him stand up, but it, it, saved, it saved me, you know? And it saved him. And I, I was saying, I, I, I hope today is not the first day that Jess is here in this story, but um, that was a bad day. It was a bad day. So we make mistakes, don't we, when there's no margin? Even worse, where there's no margin, we often miss what matters the most. Remember that story of Jesus, and he comes, he's invited into the home of, of a woman named Martha, and Martha, like a lot of us, is like, if Jesus is coming, if anybody's coming to my house, like, it's got to look perfect, like, there's work to be done, like, let's, let's, let's get it done, and it's going to be, you know... We're going to make sure that he gets the best meal and he gets the best care. And he's, so her heart is in the right place. She's like, I want to, you know, make sure that, you know, this is all going well. And meanwhile, Martha's so busy. And here Mary is just sitting down by Jesus' feet, listening to Jesus, like spending time with him. Like, are you kidding me? And Martha's like, you're just going to let her sit there while I'm doing all the work, you know. And she's worked up about this. And she says to Jesus, like, do you not care that this, my sister has left me to serve alone? Surprisingly, Jesus doesn't respond the way that she thought he would. He says, tell her to help me. The Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, portion which will not be taken from her. In other words, she didn't miss what mattered. 
You invite me into your home, you're too busy to spend time with me. You think I care about that? Come sit at my feet, come spend time with me. And when we think about our lives, we often do the same thing. Because we don't have the margin to slow down and really see what's important. And so don't miss what matters. And we all know margin isn't going to make itself. It's not. We have to make that margin. We have to pay attention to what matters. And we have to lean into those things. Even along the way. Even as we're, we've got other things going on. And so rest is learning to carry less. It's learning to make margin. And lastly, I'll say this. Rest, rest is a rhythm that needs to be reinforced. We're creatures of habit, for better or for worse. I was having some trouble sleeping uh, several months back, and I went to the doctor, and I was basically just, he was asking me all these questions. I was like, I'm not sleeping. He's asking me all these questions. Like, do you, how much caffeine do you drink in a day? What do you, or when are you exercising? What time of day? He's like asking all these like personal questions about my life. I'm like, what? You know, what's going on? Why do you care so much? Like, just, I'm, I'm asking you, like, how do I turn the sleep switch on? Like, just tell me how to do that, and I'll be good. You know, like, is there some, something you can give me for that? Like, what? Just, I just need to sleep. Like, just tell me how to do that. And he just, like, he just looks at me. He's like, Josh, sleepless is, is not an illness. It's a habit. It's like, what? what? What are you talking about? You know? No, just, I can't sleep. I need to learn how to sleep. He's like, no. It's a habit. Like, it's crazy. He's like, well, that's not a surprise to some of you. But sleep is a habit. Sleeplessness is a habit. The same is true, friends, when it comes to spiritual rest. We think that one day we can go turn on that switch of rest and be all right, here I am, Lord, let's go. Like, I'm, I'm ready to rest now. But rest is a habit. You know what else is a habit? Stress, restlessness. You could say that rest is like riding a bike, and so is restlessness. In fact, somebody did a study on this recently, the bike part. There's this guy named Destin Sandlin, and I, I, it's really, you should go home and watch this video of this guy. He's this engineer, and he, uh, this place where he worked, these guys, these welders, welded this bike t- together to, just as kind of like an experiment to mess with, uh, with, with Destin. And they give him this bike that basically, when you turn left, it goes right and vice versa. It's like, it's like, totally like messed up like and so he's like how hard can it be you know like which a lot of you think the same thing like and so he brings this bike all over the place to show him like but but he tried it. he gets onto this bike and he can't even like begin to ride it let alone ride it it's just all backwards like he cannot ride this bike and it's driving him crazy and so really he said based on a chat just the challenge of doing it he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna figure out how to ride this bike you know how long it took him to figure out how to ride that bike eight months eight months working on it daily to learn how to ride this backward bicycle. So he's like, I'm going to try it with my son. And so his son's only been riding, the, uh, you know, a regular bicycle for, for three years. His son learned how to ride the bike in two weeks. Two weeks he learned how to ride this backwards bicycle. And when you think about that, I mean, think about, and, and the interesting thing was then after he had learned how to ride the bike backwards, he goes to ride like a bike normal again. And he can't. He like, and he's out like in this public place, and they're videoing him try to ride a bike, and he's just falling all over the place. He can't do it. Until it finally, at some point, it clicks again. And the point of this is how ingrained our habits become. When it comes to really our neuroplasticity and, our, and, and all that, one, kids, like, the way their, their brains are just so plastic and the way that they're, they can be molded and meld, like, really interesting. But it also shows that for how really ingrained our habits become. Now, 
thankfully, habits can be broken. It might take eight months, right? But, you, but habits can be broken. But um, one guy who wrote about this study said, uh, James Smith writes that there's an important spiritual insight here. Families and churches should not be focused on just informing young minds. They should be looking to form habits early on. So we should be thinking about our habits. We should be thinking about how our habits are contributing to advancing us spiritually or not. So here's my question for you. You can gloss right over it or you can really sit with it this week. Do your daily rhythms reinforce rest or restlessness? If you're really going to be honest, do your daily rhythms reinforce rest or restlessness? You know what's a habit? Scrolling is a habit, you know? And it's one that's been newly introduced, right? Now that we have all of this on our phone, like we just we can just scroll and it's just kind of this mindless thing scrolling. How many of you when you're done scrolling are like, "Man, I just I feel refreshed." You know, like I feel good. Like that was a good scrolling session right there. You know, like I feel less stressed and I just feel good. You know, watching the news is a habit. For some of you, you watch it all day. It's like on all day long, and you're like, you feel your blood pressure going up throughout the day or at different moments of the day, and you're like, you know, you're just so frustrated, and how many of you come out off of watching this, the news lately, and you're just like, man, I just, that was some good news today. That was a good program. Like, I feel so encouraged. Like, I feel so good. Now, obviously, we need to be informed, Right? But as a daily habit, as something we're just, we're getting notifications on our phone all the time, right? Are these things helping us to feel more restful or more restless? We form habits, and our habits then form us for better or for worse. And by the way, I I can assure you that God is most interested not in what you amass or what you accomplish. Those things are all well and good, but what God is most concerned about is who you become. His intention is that you flourish. He's interested in your formation. And that comes through reinforcing habits and rhythms of rest and spiritual rejuvenation. And God's not going to force those things on you. He's just going to gently beckon you to come to him. The invitation of Jesus awaits, friends. It's an invitation that extends to each and every one of us in this room. Are you tired? worn out, burned out on religion, come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Lord Jesus, that is our prayer today. We know, God, that we fall victim sometimes to the pace of our culture. We fall victim to elevating the things that our culture says are most important. We get caught up in it all. I pray, God, that you will teach us to walk with you, to work with you. God, that we could learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Thank you that this is available to each and every one of us through a relationship with you. Draw near to us, O Lord, as we draw near to you. We pray 